Uh, in your bulletin, you'll see our text, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And so let's take a look at that. I will read it as we get going today. Let's listen for what God has to say to us in his word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray and ask God to bless that to us today. Lord, we need this encouragement today. Lord, we are runners that are often weary. And Lord, may we look to Jesus, the great finish line, who has run the race already on our behalf. And Lord, may that be the thing that keeps us running when life gets difficult. So Lord, encourage us, lift us up, and refresh us today by your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So a number of years ago, I had the privilege to study at the University of Edinburgh in beautiful Scotland. And my wife and I were living over there. Our first daughter was born over there. It was just a wonderful experience. And the University of Edinburgh, as you may know, is just one of the oldest universities in the United Kingdom, founded in the 1500s. And on occasion, I would actually walk down the hallways of some of the beautiful buildings there and notice sort of these paintings on the wall of sort of the great thinkers and theologians that had gone before. And every once in a while, I would stop and I would look at the painting. I would read the description under it of who this person was and all the amazing things that they had done. And it was a humbling experience to think, wow, you know, what it's amazing to think these people got their pictures hung on the wall here after so many years as a prestigious university. But as I studied there at the University of Edinburgh, I realized there was one other person that had studied there long before me who was not a scholar, who was not a professor. He had not written any famous books. But yet, as I got to know this man's life through different readings, I realized he should have his picture hung too on the wall at the University of Edinburgh. And that person was the Olympic sprinter by the name of Eric Little. Now, you probably know the story of Eric Little. It was made famous in the movie Chariots of Fire back in the early 1980s, which, as a side note, actually won Best Picture at the time, which is a remarkable thing to think about. But Little's story is well known. He was an Olympic sprinter for Scotland, a committed believer, loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And it turns out in the 1924 Olympics, his heat for the 100 meters fell on a Sunday. And Little, being a committed Scottish Presbyterian, said, I will not run on Sunday. Um, And the movie captures this moment where he decides, I I won't fulfill my my race. I have to drop out of the 100 and run a different race that doesn't take place on Sunday. You may not realize how despised Little was for that in the nation of England and the UK as a whole. Um, The movie doesn't capture this fully because it condenses the timeline, but... People were furious with him. They would have riots outside his door uh, in Edinburgh. And he was threatened and condemned and mocked for standing up for God in the middle of uh, such a critical time for England to show its glory. How could Little choose the glory of God over the glory of England? 
Of course, you know how the story goes. Little says, if I'm going to run, I'm going to run for God's glory, not my glory, not my nation's glory. And he switched his event at the last minute, which is just mind-boggling when you think about as an Olympian. How do you switch events at the last moment? I mean, you trained your whole life for one event, and yet he ran in the 400 instead of the 100 and actually ended up, as you no doubt, winning, winning the gold medal. Little used to say that when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. I think about him when I think about this passage, because as we read this passage, this passage is, of course, about running. And the whole framing of the text, as we read, you can see, sets up the Christian life in the context of a race. Uh, in fact, what our author does here in the book of Hebrews is invokes classic Greco-Roman imagery of standard running in the ancient world. And they used to have these races. They would be in a stadium, an auditorium, and then there would be runners, and there would be a finish line. And you can see the language here, and we'll unpack this more in a moment, is very much set up to invoke what the readers would probably recognize as a classic Greco-Roman competition. And he's saying, we as Christians need to continue to run this race faithfully, and the way we run it is, of course, keeping our eyes on the person who ran it ahead of us, namely Christ himself. Now, I'd imagine that this passage is applicable at any time in our lives, but certainly today, as we are in Manhattan and we think about our lives here, it's certainly applicable in as much as we all are running the Christian life and often grow very weary. I think one of the things I think about when I think of this passage is that there's many people who feel like they want to quit the Christian race. Even believers who love Jesus sometimes get weary. Moreover, it's, it's a world we live in where we learn more and more about others who've quit the race. In fact, it seems like the news we get as believers is not so much news about people who are running it well, but who, people who've stopped running it at all. And we have famous deconversion stories now in our culture of people who've decided, this isn't for me, I'm going to go do something else entirely. And so as Christians, here we are trying to run the race, but yet we see many people falling along the wayside, and we need encouragement. And that's exactly what this passage provides. It provides encouragement to weary runners. How does it do that? Well, it actually gives us sort of three different things to help us run. In other words, our author recognizes that all good runners need three things if they're going to be effective in their running, and that's also true spiritually. You need fans to cheer you on, you need freedom from entanglements, and you need a finish line to aim for. Fans, freedom, finish line. Yes, three Fs this morning. I didn't quite intend it to be that, but it works well as alliteration. But three things that I think any runner would need. They need someone to cheer them on. They need freedom from entanglements so they don't get tripped up, and they need a, a target, something to hit. Let's just say a quick word about each of these here in this passage this morning. Let's start with the fans cheering us on. We turn our attention back to verse 1 in our passage there. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This language in the text of being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses is invoking the image of a coliseum. And we think of usually the Colosseum in Rome, which is a big one, but throughout the provinces of the Roman Empire, there were smaller versions of this where they would have athletic competitions and races. And he's saying, look, when you run, what do you need? You need a fan base around you, a crowd to cheer you on. Not only do physical runners have a crowd, but spiritual runners have a crowd. And this is the great cloud of witnesses he's referring to. Who are these amazing people cheering us on as we run? Well, it's actually those that he just got finished talking about in the prior chapter. We don't have time to go back to it, but you know it. Hebrews chapter 11 is famously known as the Hall of Faith, where 
Basically, our author walks through the great saints of old and how they ran the race and how they didn't give up on the race and how they actually finished the race. The Hall of Faith is aptly named because even though these saints in the Hall of Faith accomplish many great things, notice it's not the Hall of Good Works. It's not the Hall of, look how amazing these people are. It's the Hall of Faith that these people, by their faith, by grace, by God's power, finished the race. And that's what this encouragement is for us as runners, is that when we run, we are reminded others have ran before us, and they finished successfully. So rather than thinking only about the people who don't finish, the Hall of Faith is a reminder of all those who do finish. And this is a great reminder of the fact that God is at work in his people, and he, by his grace, gets them across the finish line. What's interesting about this particular scenario, though, is that the fans here are functioning in a different way than they do in an earthly race. Think about it for a moment. If you were to go to an earthly athletic event, what are the fans there for? They're there to watch the athlete. They're there to watch the runner. But in the spiritual race, it's flipped. I want you to notice this. The fans aren't there to watch us in the spiritual race. We're there to watch them. This is what's different about the Christian life. They're not there necessarily just to observe us. We're there in the spiritual context to observe them, to look back and see, look what God has done faithfully throughout the history of his people. I'm reminded when I think about this passage of uh, my undergraduate years at UNC Chapel Hill, which is historically known for basketball, of course. And we used to go to basketball games as a student in what was known as the Dean Dome, right? Named for Dean Smith. And whenever you'd go in the Dean Dome to watch a game, what they did is they, they, they hung from the rafters the famous jerseys of those who'd gone before, right? And of course, Michael Jordan's jerseys up there and James Worthy's jerseys up there and Sam Perkins. And they're hanging there. Every time there's an event, they're hanging there. And then the current players on the basketball team, when they're tired, when they're weary, when they're running out of gas... They can look up into the rafters and see, ah, those are the ones who've played in this exact spot before me. Those are the ones who finished the race. And that's exactly the way it is in the spiritual life we live. We look back to the great saints of old as an encouragement. Look what God can do. Look what God can do. Not what we can do, but what God can do by faithfully preserving his runners. So here's the point under the fans is you don't run alone. You shouldn't run alone. Um, most often we stop running when there's no one around us. We're by ourselves. Of course, this is the nature of Christian community, right? Christian community is set up so that we don't run alone. We gather together. We are together. So it's not just the, the, the saints of old that are the fans cheering us on. We in the modern church are the fans also cheering us on, right? And boy, do we need that. Don't underestimate the power of Christian community to keep you in the race. The reason most people fall away from the race is because they stop being with other runners. Run in a crowd. Running a group. I think of that scene in Forrest Gump. If you've seen the movie where they're running in that big crowd through the desert across the nation, it's a big group of runners. You don't run alone, you run in a group. And so it is in the Christian life. Okay, so fans, that's number one. Here's a second thing our passage highlights that we need if we're going to be successful runners. It's not just fans around us, but freedom from entanglements. Freedom from entanglements. Look down again at verse 1 in your text there. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that was the first F, right? We need fans. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. If you're going to run, you've got to keep yourself from being tripped up, 
wrapped up, drugged down by any weight that would keep you from being an effective runner. In the ancient world, this was typically, uh, when you would run, you would, you would disrobe, right? It's typical in the ancient world that you'd wear robes, long garments, right? But not for runners. If you're going to run in the ancient world, you've got to remove your outer garment because if you try to run in your outer garment, you're going to get tripped up. You're going to get tangled up. So what a race would, or runner would do in ancient races is they would strip off everything they could down to the bare minimum. Why? Because the most important thing is finishing the race. And if finishing the race is the most important thing, then we're going to push aside anything that could hinder us from finishing that race. And so it is also in the spiritual life. Our our author here is saying, look, when you run as a Christian, you need to be thinking about what's tripping me up? What's slowing me down? What's keeping me from effectively running the Christian race? It's curious here in this passage, he mentions two different things, actually, that can entangle us. One is the most obvious, and one I want to say is less obvious to us, but still important. Let's start with the most obvious. Look what it says there at verse 1 again, the sin which clings so closely. The first thing that trips us up as runners is this entanglement of sin. It's interesting, uh, the, the NIV puts this in a different way. I actually like it better here than the ESV. The sin that so easily entangles is the NIV rendition here of the Greek. Or the ESV puts it, the sin which is so close, so wrapped around you. Again, the image of a garment. What's going to hinder your running? Not just sin in your life, because we all have that as Christians. We're fallen people. But sin that clings closely. Sin that you won't cast away. In other words, what's in view here is unrepentant sin, right? Sin which you won't uh, uh, separate yourself from. Sin which you keep close. Um, and it's going to hinder you're running. So don't, don't misunderstand. The argument is not saying, well, if you ever sin, you won't finish the race. That's not the argument. The argument, though, is if you cling to it, if you grab it, if you keep it around you, you're going to find yourself having a very hard time finishing the Christian race. How many stories do we know as we think about those who stopped running? That they've stopped running because they have fallen in love with some thing in their life that they value more than Jesus. Something they know maybe they shouldn't be pursuing. Something they know they probably shouldn't be loving. But nonetheless, they embrace it. And as they embrace it, their affection for Jesus slowly wanes and their affection for this other thing goes up. Here's the thing to think about in the Christian life, which we often don't think about, is that what we believe affects what we do, right? As Christians, everyone agrees that our theology, our beliefs affect our actions. But don't miss the fact that the opposite happens too. Our actions affect what we believe. So when you do certain things and live a certain way, you can start heading down a path where God looks less persuasive, God looks less wonderful, and the other things we've chosen seem more wonderful. That's how runners stop running, is they end up realizing, I really love this more than I love Jesus. So the sin that we cling to will hamper us in the Christian race, which is why we always need to be, and I love what we did in the worship service this morning, regularly confessing our sins, turning away from our sins, acknowledging these. Yes, the life of a fallen sinner is perpetually repenting of our sin, but we have to be repenting of our sin, right? We can't be grabbing it and clinging and holding on to it. But here's what's interesting, is our, our author says, but there's something else that can hinder your race. Look what he says. Lay aside every weight. 
So obviously you want to lay aside sin, but this lay aside every weight is another thing that can hinder the race. And let me explain what's going on here. For you to be slowed down in your Christian race doesn't happen only when you embrace sin. It can also even happen when you embrace good things that maybe aren't helping you run. In other words, one of the questions we need to ask is not necessarily, is this sinful or not? That's an important question. But that's not the only question to ask in our life. One of the questions we need to ask in our life is, is this helping me run? Maybe it's not sinful. Maybe it's fine. But there's many things in life that are fine, that are innocuous, that don't necessarily in of themselves are wrong, but they may hinder you from your race. What our author is saying then is, in one sense, be ruthless <laughs> by stripping away everything in your life so that you're a more effective runner. I think sometimes when we evaluate what we do in our life, we just tend to use, okay, is it right or is it wrong, as if that's the only category. But there's also a category, is, is it helpful or not helpful? Does it make me run or does it hold me back? And this can apply to so many things in life, how you spend your time, what you do with your recreation, how you think about your money, um, what your relationships are. Um, all, so many things this might apply to. But there's a sense, and sometimes you take good things and you, you leave them beside the trail so that you can be a more effective runner. This was this dawned on me years ago when I hiked the Grand Canyon um, out west in Arizona, and I'd gone with some college buddies um, to do it. And you may know the Grand Canyon has signs at the top of the rim that say, do not try to hike this canyon in one day, right? <laughs> There's all these warnings. It says, do not go to the river and back in one day. You're going to get stuck down there. Because if you're familiar with the, the, the problem of the Grand Canyon, it's the opposite of most hikes. Most hikes start going up. And then when you're, when you start, when you, as you get tired, you end up on the back half of the hike going down, right? So the easier part is the second half of the day. But the Grand Canyon is the opposite. It tricks people. You start off going down. And you don't realize how deep you've gone because it's easier to go down than it is to go up. And people every year get trapped in the Grand Canyon. They go down without realizing how deep they go. And it gets hotter down there. And they have their backpacks and they can't get out. One of the things we noticed as we were hiking at the Grand Canyon is that people got stuck down there. And to get out, they had to leave their packs behind. It would not be unusual hiking some of these trails like the Bright Angel Trail in the Grand Canyon to have just a backpack just laying on the side of the, the trail or gear strewn on the side of the trail. People are exhausted. They're dehydrated. You, you, you can't send a rescue crew down there very easily. And so they would leave it behind. So on one level, having a backpack is not a bad decision, right? But if you're going to finish, we'd be ruthless with everything that might hinder our race. So it is with the Christian life. There's many good things in our life that sometimes we also need to lay aside in order to be better runners. But that brings us to the last F here, which I think is really where this passage builds up to. You need fans, of course, um, to cheer you on. And remember, you're looking to them less than they're looking to you. You need freedom from entanglements, that we need to be living a life of persistent repentance and being uh, willing to lay aside anything that might hinder us. But it's really this last one that's the key, right? If you're going to run, you have to have a finish line. You have to know where you're headed. And it has to be a finish line you really want to reach. <laughs> How discouraging is it to run when the thing you're running towards isn't really something you're interested in? It's not something you really want. But here we look into this passage and we realize that we have the greatest finish line imaginable. Because at the finish is the person of Jesus himself. 
Look at verse 1 at the end and the beginning of verse 2. It says at the end of verse 1, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And look at this next phrase, looking to Jesus. When you run, the image here is that you're, you're, you're visually keyed in on something, right? And in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, you run and you, you look at the, the finish line. In fact, if you're, if you're a runner, a competitive runner, you know that one of, the, one of the things you never do when you run is look over at the runner next to you. You don't turn around and look behind you. You don't, you don't even really look at yourself. You're perpetually focused on the finish line. And I think this is one of the number one reasons we stop running is because we run and we don't know where we're going. We haven't really absorbed the beauty and the wonder of Christ to drive us towards this finish line. And so we start thinking more about the pain in our side start thinking about how heavy we're breathing. We start thinking about the other runners and whether we're running better or worse than them. And pretty soon we're like, why am I doing this? And we want to give it up entirely. But what if we would run in such a way that we look towards this beautiful, wonderful finish line? You're not just running randomly. You're running towards something. And this is what marks the Christian. The Christian isn't running just to run. They're not running just to try hard. You're not running just to do good works. You're running because you love Christ. This is your Redeemer. His uh, beauty and wonder is waiting at the finish line for us. So a few thoughts here on this final point. First, this is a reminder that Jesus is our real great reward. When you run, it's not so much that you're thinking, what is God going to give me if I finish the race? Or what, what blessings will I get? And God does bless obedience and does bless his people. And certainly there are blessings when we join him in heaven someday. But let us not forget that the real reward is a person. The real reward is Christ. It's not so much what Christ gives us, but it's Christ himself, right? That's the great reward. Our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who's given himself up for us and run the race for us. So there has to be some sense in which our life was perpetually Christocentric, always focused on Christ. I'm reminded of this uh, documentary I, I saw a number of years ago called The Walk. Um, it's actually based on a true story. You may have heard of this because it actually happened here in New York. The, the movie The Walk tells the story of a Frenchman by the name of uh, Philippe Petit, who in 1974 did something incredible. In 1974, he, he, he came into the city of New York, and in the middle of the night, at midnight, he climbed up one of the World Trade Center towers, the two of them, that were at the time under construction. And with the help of some friends, in the middle of the night, they strung a cable from one tower to the other. And as they tightened this cable, and as the sun began to rise, under, uh, under the city was, or under the buildings where the city was starting to come awake and traffic was starting to happen, Philippe Petit took his big pole and walked out on this cable. And the famous scene, and it's a true story, he ends up spending the entire morning walking from one of the World Trade Centers to the other World Trade Center, back and forth, back and forth, numerous times, balanced with no ropes, no chains, no, no net, nothing, on this cable high above the city of New York. Of course, as you might imagine, the crowds gathered, people stopped, traffic was jammed up, and the police went up to arrest him, but how do you arrest a guy on a cable <laughs> hanging out over the city? And so they, they could do nothing but wait for him to come back. So he just went zigzag, 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 and finally when he'd had enough, he came and they arrested him. But the story catalogs this. And if you know anything about tightrope walkers, they have a very clear rule. Like, how do you do it? How do you not get scared? How, 
but I mean, literally, the, the, you, you cannot look down. And Philippe Petit said that the, the way you do it is you, you focus your eyes on the, on, the, on the goal. You don't look at the cable. You don't look at yourself. You, you focus the entire time on the goal, and you're, you're walking with that focus. In many ways, that's the Christian life, isn't it? Is that it's a scary life. It's potential for falling. You might feel like you could plummet down many, many stories to your death below. But yet, there's Christ for us at the finish line. And it's an amazing thing when you consider what he's done, because look what the text says. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So here what you realize is Jesus isn't just a number, another member of the hall of faith. They all have faith, but Jesus isn't just another person who has faith. Jesus is the founder of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. And here's the thing I want you to realize is that Jesus has already ran the race for you. He has already finished it on your behalf. This is why we run, because Christ has gone where he's asking us to go, and he has paved the way for us. He has run. He has endured. He has suffered. He has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice if Jesus says, I know that you're going to suffer and be persecuted, just know that I was suffered and persecuted before you, and I've walked it for you, I've walked it with you, and I'm now asking you to join me in following my footsteps. And when you consider all that Christ endured, it's so amazing to consider. He says that he did it with joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Notice this language, despising the shame. People don't realize that what Jesus did on the cross for us isn't just physical suffering. Certainly it was much physical suffering, and crucifixion was designed, make no mistake about it, to be one of the most excruciating physical sufferings you could invent. And maybe even now, 2,000 years later, crucifixion may still stand as one of the most awful forms of torture that humans have ever invented. But that wasn't really the main purpose of crucifixion. The main purpose of crucifixion was actually shame. If you don't think, if you think about it, that, that you could torture someone in a dungeon or in a basement or in a room, but they didn't do that with crucifixion. They hung you up for all to see. The crucifixions in the ancient world were intentionally done on the main pathway out of the city so that every Roman citizen and every Jew going in and out could see what happens when you cross Rome. You end up like one of these criminals. It was a great sign of embarrassment, public shame, and humiliation. This is why the cross was such a stumbling block for people in the ancient world. They thought to themselves, wait, you, you're, you're following a savior who was crucified by Rome? Why would you do that? That's, that's, that's the silliest thing I can imagine. Why would, you, why would you follow someone who's been humiliated and defeated? But of course, that's what we realize about the story, is that he was humiliated and defeated for us. He gave himself for us. And there he waits at the finish line for us. And so that's, what, that's how we run. We don't run by simply thinking that we're great runners or that we're um, focused on our own sort of way of doing things, but we run most effectively when the person that, that we're occupied with and cannot take our eyes off is Christ. That's how we do not grow weary. So verse 3, this is the essence of the passage. Consider him. There's your main application today. Consider him. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so, so that you, look at the language, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Christ is both the goal and also the means to reach the goal. He is both the finish line and the energy and strength to get to the finish line. He is all in all. You know, when I 
started with the story of Eric Little. Um, there's, a, there's a fascinating end of the story where when he runs his 400-meter race in the Olympics on the final uh, day, uh, a lot of people don't realize that he, he actually had drawn the outside lane. Now, in the 400, you know that they have to stagger the lanes because you're obviously running in a circle. And, and, and the worst lane is the outside lane because you can't, you're, you're, you can't pace yourself with other runners. You're ahead of them all. And this was particularly problematic for Little because he was a sprinter. So the, all the commentators before the race, all the newspapers were saying he's not, he has no chance of winning. He's going up against the Olympic record holder, uh, from America, Schultz. He's, he's got no chance. He's a sprinter. He's going to gas out halfway because he's going to jump out of the blocks too fast. And then when they found out he drew the outside lane, they're like, there's no way he's going to win because he can't pace himself. Before the race started, someone gave him a little slip of paper. Just had a little verse on it. First Samuel 2.30. Him that honors me, I will honor. So with that piece of paper in his hand, the gun goes off. And Little jumps out of the blocks, if you know the story, like a sprinter. Because that's what he was. Um, way too fast. They said later that it looked like he had totally blown it because he had gone out too fast. And way ahead of everybody. And no one around him to face himself. But as we know, the story goes, it looked like he was going to get caught. But on the last turn, he pushed again and continued and ended up winning the gold. I wonder if, in some sense, it was better that he couldn't see anyone else. That picture of the race is exactly the picture here in, in Hebrews 12. Is that When you run the race, all Little had to think about was the finish line. He couldn't look at his other runners because he was way out ahead. And I think that's actually what won the race for him, is that he was solely committed to to finishing. And that's our prayer. That's what we have before us as Christians, isn't it? To be runners, faithful runners. The only way we're going to get there is to look at the finish line. And that finish line is Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Grateful for the way you encourage us to run. Most of all, we're thankful for Jesus, who himself was the great runner, who ran ahead of us, who ran faithfully, who finished the race on our behalf. Lord, may he be this the joy of our hearts that we cannot wait to finish because we get to be with him. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.